0: There's there's a very specific type of lie, I think, that depression tells and maybe this this can even help people to understand if they're struggling with clinical depression, because I feel like it's very specific to depression, is that no one else in the world feels as bad as you or, or is as bad as you or can't figure things out like you can, like you're absolutely the worst and you're alone in that misery.
1: Jessica Kantrowitz is the author of the brand new book called The Long Night, Readings and Stories to Help You Through Depression. Uh, I've been open and honest about my own journey, struggling with depression and anxiety over the years. And so I found Jessica to be such a helpful resource in terms of naming what depression is and what depression isn't. And also, naming maybe how to love someone who has depression, how to love them well. So, whether you struggle with depression and anxiety, or you know someone who does, I think you're gonna find this conversation really enriching. And then you're gonna to wanna to go out and buy Jessica's book. Again, it's called The Long Night Readings and Stories to Help You Through Depression. Enjoy the conversation, friends. Jessica, thanks so much for coming on This Good Word. I have just really look- been looking forward to talking to you about your book.
0: Thank you. I'm really glad to be here.
1: Well, and, um, you know, it's so odd because I'm looking out my window right now, and it's beautiful blue sky. It's hot here in Minnesota. It's probably similar where you are, and yet we're in a very um, illuminating and dark time in in the history of the world right now as it relates to riots and protest and really, really, I think necessary things. And it's really, it's really tough. So I think we both acknowledged on email that it's hard to be talking even about the nature of the things that we'll talk about today when it feels like um, the whole world's burning down, you know? So we want to, we want to name that out loud. And you very graciously uh, offered to read a poem. I I would love to start us off that way, if that's okay with you, Jessica, would you mind?
0: Sure, no, I'd love to. So this is um, an adaptation of a poem that I wrote. And the original was just to acknowledge people's feelings as, as valid and good. Um and so I've I've adapted it to be a prayer and a blessing over the protesters um the Black Lives Matter protesters. Beautiful. So it's called A Blessing for the Protesters. Today I anoint with oil your righteous anger. I sprinkle holy water over your bodies holy justified fear of leaving the house without armor. I anoint with oil your righteous anger. I bear witness to your inexpressible sadness, your generations of grief and your very specific grief. I anoint with oil your righteous anger. I ordain your emotions to be sacred ministers of truth, of grace and of justice.
1: Mm, thank you for that so helpful and so good mm. um thank you for that gosh i almost want to have you read yeah. it again <laughs> can you read it again i mean i'm, I'm dead serious can, uh, can you read it again
0: sure definitely a blessing for the protesters today i anoint with oil your righteous anger i sprinkle holy water over your bodies. Holy, justified fear of leaving the house without armor. I anoint with oil your righteous anger. I bear witness to your inexpressible sadness, your generations of grief and your very specific grief. I anoint with oil your righteous anger. I ordain your emotions to be sacred ministers of truth, of grace and of justice. Mm,
1: thank you. Yeah, um, you're welcome. Yeah. So needed and so necessary, you know, here I am in Minneapolis and I know there's many protests all over the nation and maybe world right now. It's pretty hot in Minneapolis and, and, mm. but, but as I've, you know, as I've been close, it's been so beautiful. I mean, the protest has been so beautiful. Of course, a lot of the news has been the rioting and looting and burning. And to be honest, I don't know who's doing that. You know, there's a theory, it's Mm. a lot of people agitators from the outside. And I think that's very, very possible. What I've seen is among the protesters, um, is beautiful, sacred, reverent, holy, Expression, you know, and necessary, mm-hmm. and so I think that's important for people around the world to hear too. It's like, I don't know what people are reading or hearing, but well, I do a little bit. But um, okay, enough of <laughs> enough of my rambling. I want to <laughs> I want to talk to you. Um,
0: well, no, that's that's similar. To what I've been thinking, you know, that I think we have a tendency to um, think of. People who are emotional as not objective,
2: right. and
0: I've I've just been feeling so strongly. The only people who can be objective right now are the people who are have suffered, wow. the people whose whose you know family members have been killed and whose community has been affected by this violence. So yeah. those are the ones that we need to listen to, not you know the people who are sitting back in their mm-hmm. armchairs observing everything and commentating on it.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. Uh, um, Well, you know, that, this, what's happening in the world right now may come in and out of our conversation for sure. But you wrote a book uh, called the long night readings and stories to help you through depression. And, and I told you, I, I have, I, I have depression and anxiety. I'm um, and I'm taking some medication and doing other things for it to manage it. And as I read through your book, it felt it felt like a friend. Um, I mean, it mm-hmm. felt like a friend that I could talk to. <laughs> I know it's a book, but um, and so you clearly are writing with authority and experience, not unlike what you just talked about. If I want to talk to someone about depression, I want to talk to someone. Who has experienced the grief of it? And clearly you've mm-hmm. you've been all the way down that road and back. And so, um, I, I do have a bunch of questions, But before I ask you personally for some of your personal story, what are what are some common misconceptions and misperceptions about depression and people who have depression and or anxiety?
0: Mm, that's a really good question. I was thinking about that this morning, actually, the um, assumptions that people made <laughs> yeah.
1: about me yeah.
0: when I was going through the worst of it. And I think the biggest one that manifests in different ways, but it's the idea that um, what they're witnessing is the cause and not the effect. Oh, yeah. So like I when I was very depressed, I would stay in my room in my bed for most of the day. And my friend said to me you know well i would be depressed too if i stayed mm-hmm. in my mm-hmm. room all day but he wasn't seeing that you know that wasn't the order that right. those things happened in. and you know if you prayed more mm. someone said if you if you were just doing these um affirmations but biblical affirmations every day
2: <sighs>
0: and she said it kind of angrily you know like why don't you buck up and just do what you need to do to get better And so. Yeah.
1: So unhelpful. And why do you, you know, I mean, you've, I've read your story. You've been a Christian a long time and been in circles and in and out of Christian circles. But, but what do you think makes people respond that way? It's almost like they're threatened, you know, like your depression threatens them in some way.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah. what,
1: what What do you think that is? Or what, why? it's someone like, like, like they're giving you the finger when they're saying, you know, just buck up or just pray more. Or just, if you just did this, you're so lazy, you can't even pray. You know what I mean? Like, what, what is it do you think that, that is threatening?
0: You know, I hadn't thought of it like in those specific terms, but I guess it's scary to think that you know, I was living in a in an intentional Christian community this um, during this time that I write about in the book when I had a major depressive episode. But um, I had been there for a year before it came on, so they knew me as a completely different person. Right. You know, they knew me bright and energetic and funny and mm-hmm. um, spiritual and all these things. And so, I guess it's it's really scary to see someone change so much it may touch upon your own own fears of you know if this could happen to Jessica then could it happen also to me
1: oh yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah
0: but I think yeah but I think you know in addition to that I think it's just really hard to understand what depression is like if you haven't been Mm -hmm. in it it's it doesn't make sense. And even if you have been really depressed and aren't anymore, it's hard to remember.
2: Right. Cause I
0: think our, our natural human tendency is to forget pain and to move on from it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's why, you know, I really wanted to write as in as detailed a way as possible and as specifically as possible, what it was like so that, people, you know, hopefully reading my book, people would get a little bit more insight into what's going on when their friend changes like that.
1: Right. Oh yeah. Well, and you do such a beautiful job of that. Well, maybe, um, I do, I, you know, folks, you need to just buy this book. It's called The Long Night Readings and Stories to Help You Through Depression. Jessica Kantrowitz. but. Maybe walk us through a little bit of the journey. Would you about sort of when you um, became aware that you were depressed and what that process was like, both leading into it and then living
0: through it? Sure. Yeah, well, I think I've been depressed on and off for most of my adult life. Um, It's hard to really pinpoint when it started, uh, but it's. We were talking, but I think it was before you started recording. We were talking about, um, dysthymic depression, which Mm -hmm. is sort of a mild ongoing depression. And I think I, I have had that, um, mild depression most of my life and then have had three, maybe four major depressive episodes within that. Mm -hmm. But I never really... I never really identified them as depression for whatever reason. Hmm. Or I would feel at the time that it was depression, but then I would I would change something external. Like I broke up with the boyfriend yeah. at the end of college yeah. and moved. Yeah. And I felt better. So it was like, okay, well, that whatever that was, it's over and I don't have to think about it anymore. But then I would spend, you know, the rest of my life trying to desperately avoid ever falling into that pit again, Mm -hmm. because it was such a horrible feeling. Um, So uh, during the time that I write about in the book, I was in my early 30s, and I had just moved into an intentional Christian community. Um, And I think, through various external circumstances, I just, I lost a lot of the ability to run away from the depression that I'd had before. My, my parents moved into, um, a 55 plus community Mm -hmm. that, um, they weren't allowed to have guests for more than a month at a time. Mm. So I couldn't, that was sort of like always an option, you know, (laughs) before that I could, if I needed to, I could move in with my parents, but that was gone. And, um, I think a lot of the external things ways that I had tried to avoid dealing with it weren't there anymore and so I was sort of forced to look inward and say okay what is going on here why do I keep having these periods in my life of deep depression and you know to go to a psychiatrist and a therapist and work through things that way Um, and so That's. It was sort of like I would have rather not, but I had to, so I did.
1: Well, as I read some of the beginning of your story, it's like you. There was a retreat that you were scheduled to be on through this ministry that you worked with, and you just couldn't go. You just couldn't. The my you had a migraine, I think, and you were really feeling the effects of your depression and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the response was basically like, well, we're gonna have to talk about your job then or something like that. Like it, it didn't seem very gracious. Um, am I remembering that right?
0: Yes. Mostly I actually was having, um, cause I have really bad chronic migraines as well. Yes. And I had taken, um, I had, was trying a new medication for the migraines that super intensified the depression. And um, racing thoughts. It was almost—I don't think it was technically psychotic, but I felt crazy.
1: Right. Like it was close. I
0: was not. I was not okay then, and so I took another um, medication that I had that I knew would make me go to sleep, basically, because mm-hmm. um, I needed to. I needed to get out of that space where I was. Right. Um, but because of that, I didn't. I just emailed to tell my supervisors that I. I wasn't going to be able to make the retreat and yeah, they weren't happy about that. I think there's this, it's interesting in my experience with evangelical communities and organizations and churches, there's really an emphasis on grace, but there's this paradoxical emphasis on you need to, Really work as hard as you can, and you know ministers are expected to work sixty hours, seventy hours a week, and you know I think there's there's not a lot of space given for self care,
1: oh, that yeah. kind of thing. I I'll co-sign that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'll co-sign
1: that. I wonder why that is. Mm. I mean, I've been in it for so long, of course but i i wonder if there's just such an underlying shame culture you know with all the yeah. original sin and and you know it's almost like th- there's an overemphasis on grace cuz we all kind of know we're bullshitting our way you know like we're all earning <laughs> our way you know so like we're we're trying to believe it but it doesn't really bear out many times in the relationships and especially in the context of ministry and ministers, you know, ministers aren't humans really. I mean, that's, that's, that's the perspective. I think many times, um, that can be so death dealing to your soul. Um, not to Mm -hmm. put too fine a point on it, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm dramatic. I'm a three with a four wing definitely. So I can, I can go for, I can go four on you um I'm a
0: four with a five wing all
1: right oh
0: I love I
1: love that although is that sometimes like I have some friends that are four with the five wings and it's almost like I think that's a hard place to be in life you know because like Mm -hmm. (laughs) because the four anyway blah 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 I just think that's a that's a (laughs) tough assignment actually because of that combination but um
0: yeah it can be, but I think the the feeling and the thinking parts can balance each other Ooh, in good ways.
1: Say more. I, I want to hear more about that.
0: Um, well, so the, the fours are are very on the feeling spectrum. Their feelings are very intense, and, yep. um, we tend to we tend to um, feel very strongly, but also we play up those feelings in ourselves, and so we sort of lose because of that tendency towards drama or whatever, we sort of lose touch with our real feelings, right? And um, fives are more thinkers, although five the fives that I know also have very intense emotions,
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: but they try to cope with them through logic and data and information. And, you know, they try to keep their feelings in line. Right. And so I think fives need fours to help them understand the value of their feelings, and I have found um, my really close friend that I is my housemate also is a five, and I find him really grounding. Yeah. And I think you know that I have I've found that that within me too that ability to ground myself in clear thinking and yeah without without devaluing devaluing my emotions as well.
1: Well, that's really interesting. Thanks for that perspective. I mean, I think I'm, as a three with a four wing, I'm just anchored Mm. in the feeling, you know, and so I I could, like, I would love to be able to access some more rational thought from time to time, you know, versus, um, because I think I get swept away, not even my own feelings, but in other people's feelings, you know, like, that's what sweeps me out to see. I can't even necessarily name my own feelings half the time because I'm feeling everybody else's feelings, you know. Right.
2: (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
1: Um, That's interesting. So, yeah. Well, um, so some of my work is to, you know, be quiet and center Mm -hmm. and (coughs) – Excuse me. um, And – you know, and, and, and do some meditation. I mean, that's, that's really, so I can breathe in and breathe out and remember yeah. that I'm not my feelings. Um, even if there are other people's feelings, I'm not those feelings either. So. Um, right. That's been really helpful for me. Um, really helpful.
0: Yeah. I read about that in your book.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's just been one of the practices that um, no matter what's happening, swirling around inside of me if i can return to my breath then i can return to what i believe reality is you know at any moment and and that's the practice for me it's like it's not having some special feeling when i'm meditating but it's it's being able during the day to be able to you know return again oh look at you know here i am i'm going i'm <laughs> i'm getting swept away but i can right. choose not to you know um so anyway. yeah yeah
0: you have that, that piece become sort of accessible to yeah. you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When I can be which m- mindful it. of it.
0: Right. Which has, a, I think you wrote about this too. It has a um, physiological uh, reason for that too, which is that it's calming our, our fight or flight instinct and oh, teaching yeah. us to, to respond with, um, with rest. It's not technically the term isn't rest. I forget what it is.
1: No, I, yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's sort of learning to, um, learning to be mindful of that you're in a hyper aroused state, right? And then Mm -hmm. choosing, yeah, rest, what's the word? But it's like sort of choosing. I mean, for me, the miracle, whatever you believe about Jesus calming the wind, you know, um, Mm -hmm. the miracle for me is in that crazy story of the you know the miracle for me is his ability to sleep in the midst of the storm you know like if i could do that you know like metaphorically i would i would be a lot better um okay enough about enough about geez my book but um (laughs) but that thank you thank you you're you're, as i said you're you're, you have been kind to me um by reading Mm. it in the first place so thank you for that um What do you think, like what, I'm very curious about this. What kinds of work have you had to do with God to be able to hang on to God? Because I, you know, in my own journey with depression, anxiety, and especially in and out of certain faith circles and certain circles of Christianity, boy, I think repainting pictures of who God is is so important. How have you done that Mm -hmm. in a way that has been able, you know, so that you can hang on to some sort of faith in God, which clearly you do.
0: Yeah. Well, I think for me, when I was a child, I had a very strong childlike faith and connection to God and to Jesus and read the Bible and just like took it really seriously, mm-hmm. you know, not in the sense of, of, uh taking it taking it I'm not sure how to say this I took it very literally but I took it literally applying to myself I took the Jesus's parables literally I yeah. didn't take so much the the moral morality
2: right. things right
0: but like um the parable of the good samaritan that to me, it was a parable, but also instructions. Like, if you're walking, and you see someone injured, you help them, right? Or, you know, however, that man manifests. And it, it, I got into trouble with that, or I don't felt like trouble at the time when I moved to Boston for college, Mm -hmm. because there were a lot of people in the city lying on the side of the road. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm supposed to help these people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. That's, that's what I took from from scripture. And, you know, of course you can't always or, you know, the, the help that they need isn't always help that you are equipped to provide. Right. Um, but anyway. But I can just I, see
1: sort of a, like a, a college student, co- you know, coming out of childhood into young adulthood and going, oh, what do I do? <laughs> like it's that must right? very confusing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but I think, you know, it it confused me, but it also confirmed, like, yes, this, regardless of how hard it is to live practically, that's what you're supposed to try to Mm -hmm. do. Yeah. And then, you know, um, uh, I forgot the other example I was trying to think of, but all of that to say, um, I feel like I had, I had this really deep childhood connection to God. And so everything that I learned afterwards, when I when I was involved in um, Christian ministry at college, and when I went to seminary and had three semesters of systematic theology, all of that um, was added on top of my childhood faith. And so um, when that was stripped away, I felt very lucky that I still, I still felt the childlike Mm. connection to god mm. and it was uh, not to say at all that it was easy because i didn't want all those other things to be stripped away
2: right right
0: like i had spent tens of thousands of dollars and much of my life learning those other things and building them up um but and my childlike faith was you know it didn't need defense or argument it just it just was it was just just a connection yeah and so that's what i still feel you know i don't feel like i have to defend my faith i don't feel like i have to convert anyone right but it's just there
1: you know it sounds it sounds a whole lot like you know people talk about simplicity and then complexity and then simplicity again that's what it sounds like Mm. to me as you describe it you know like that beautiful second Some people call it a second naivete but it's not naivete it's like a deep knowing wisdom that doesn't have to have all these answers and certainty you know and it's right it returns to a trust in belovedness Um, yeah so it sounds like it's beautiful
0: yeah it's it's i think Centering prayer is I, I write about centering prayer in my book as well. Mm -hmm. And that, that was really helpful to me, um, because some of the, um, evangelical types of prayer came really easy, easy for me. And some of them didn't Mm
2: -hmm.
0: like having a daily quiet time was, was great. That's what I loved to do. I love to read the Bible and to journal about it and to talk to God. The conversational style of prayer. Um, but for some reason, I have always, even when I was in ministry, I've always had a hard time praying out loud with other people. Mm-hmm. It just felt so weird to me. like It didn't what? feel like we, we were talking with our eyes closed, but we, were, we weren't talking to each other, but we <clears> were... <throat> Could hear each other.
1: <laughs> don't, don't you think most people, like more people, more people should have a problem with praying out loud? You know what I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, like, oh my gosh, some people are a little too good at that.
0: Yeah. Um, well, it, I it mean, is for weird. me. It felt like a performance. Well, like do yeah. say a good prayer, and people will be impressed.
1: How can it not be in a certain way? That that is one of the weirdest. Like I think, like that. Phenomenon of praying out loud with each other, and you know, it, it, like it's almost like it, 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 if we could view ourselves through the lens of uh, an alien or something like that, it would be one of the most odd parts of our religious expression. Right? You know, like what are you even doing? I mean, it can be sweet too. I don't, I don't want to be totally pejorative, but anyway, because you were going to this really, yeah. really sweet place, and I took it to this cynical place. <laughs> Um, no, no. but yeah, yeah, that was always hard for me too.
0: Yeah. But on, you know, the flip side of that coin, I have a dear friend, my, my best friend from college, Gina, and she loves praying. And yeah. this is, is a great prayer. And I value that so much. Mm-hmm. And I'll text her when I need someone to pray for me and she'll, she'll you know text back a prayer and that's deeply meaningful to me so Mm. it's kind of just holding holding that paradox loosely
1: well say more about how you how you practice centering prayer and sort of maybe there are listeners who don't know what that is and so sort of what is that and how does it help you in particular in your own journey
0: yeah. So um, like I was saying, the the kind of prayer that I learned growing up um, was very, even when you weren't talking out loud, it was very wordy. Yeah. Like you're thinking these thoughts in your head, but it's like following a, a either following acts, like what was it? Adoration, oh, confession, yeah, yeah. thanksgiving. Um,
1: Supplication
0: supplication yeah yeah so there's all these different things you're supposed to say and you're supposed to pray for uh, pray for people individually and like come up with words to say for people
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um like specific things that you're asking god for for each person um so that it's it's thinking it it can be tiring
1: too right i mean you gotta you gotta say all the words and you gotta bring up all the prayer requests and you gotta remember to pray for the person that you said that you'd pray for i think it can be very um it can be very tiring it can be it doesn't have to be but i i have found that
0: tiring yeah definitely and so centering prayer is kind of the opposite right you you pick one word and then you say that word slowly while you're breathing in and out. And then you even if you want to, or if you if you can, you drop that, even that word, and you're just being you're just breathing. And then your thoughts and emotions continue on, you know, you can't turn your thoughts off. But you think of them, um, one image that you can use is to think of them as clouds passing overhead. Yeah. And so they're there, you notice them, but you don't, you don't have to latch on to them right you could just lie back on the on the hillside and watch the clouds pass
2: mm-hmm.
0: or for me it, the image that um works even better than that is just like sinking deep into myself like down into my own body and the uh, the external things are still there but it's almost like being underwater like you hear these faint yeah. voices yeah. happening, but they don't have to affect you because you're in this deep place. And God is there with you. Yes. And that's the most exciting part to me is that the, you know, the people who teach centering prayer, the the mystics, um, and then more recently, people like Thomas Merton mm-hmm. and Basil Pennington, they they believe that God is within us. Right. And so it's not the idea of um, asking God to come to us which is I think the more evangelical idea but it's like <clears throat> basically becoming aware of the presence that was is already mm-hmm. there of God's presence yes I
1: it's love just that.
0: so so much more <laughs> peaceful <laughs> and relaxing and you don't have to think of words to say yeah
1: well I I just love how you described all of that and I felt the peacefulness sort of even through the auditory, you know, my sense of listening mm-hmm. to you, listening to your voice. I felt the peace exuding out of that. And I think, <laughs> um, and I want to say too, is like, you know, the ACTS stuff, the words, you know, I think that that works until it doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Like I want to mm-hmm. like, like, let's like, I remember I used to journal prayers out big time and that was so beautiful yeah. and helpful.
2: Yeah. And then, me too.
1: and then they're just, came a time where it wasn't you know and then so it's like okay well what what's next not not in the sense of what's next but in the sense of how how have i expanded and how do my practices need to expand as well in a way that feels restful and you know um i have a someone taught me this thing that i just love like they were like when someone asks you to pray for them All you have to do is just picture yourself walking them into a room where Jesus is and then leaving them there, Hmm. you know, and I can use words if I want to, but I also don't have to sort of feel like I have to explain to God what this person's going through, you know, Um, or to myself or to, you know, to make it count, I can, I can picture Jesus being with that person. Maybe I maybe I would even linger and and, and sort of imaginatively watch you know Jesus mm. look at the person with love or something. Um, I mean that can be transformative too. But yeah that was a very that. helpful. Yeah, I I loved it when they t- told me that I just it it relieved a lot of pressure about how to how do I pray for people when I don't yeah. you know when I when I feel a little disingenuous sort of explaining it all and I have to name it all or not even disingenuous, just like, why, why is this necessary? You know? Right. So, um, okay. So what, another question is like, I know there's not one thing, Jessica, but like, if someone's listening that is depressed, has been depressed, what, what is a thing or several things that you would want them to hear from you?
0: Yeah, well, um, I think the the most important thing is in the moon on my book, <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: there's, you know, I didn't do this. The, um, the woman who dev- designed the cover for my book, Olga Gerlich, um, put a moon it's, you know, a, a dark blue with stars all over it. And then there's a moon on the top. And in the moon are the words you are not alone and this will not last forever and that i when i saw the cover i was just so happy yeah. because i didn't tell her to put that there but that's exactly it wow if you don't even read the book that's it. that's what i want you to get yep. from it yep. because depression is so isolating yeah and it robs you it robs you of your sense of love and community and it robs you of your mm-hmm sense of hope and your imagination. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So everything's just, you can't imagine ever feeling better again. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's a very specific type of lie, I think that depression tells and maybe this this can even help people to understand if they're struggling with clinical depression, because I feel like it's very specific to depression. Is that no one else in the world feels as bad as you or or is as bad as you or can't figure things out like you can. Like you're absolutely the worst, and you're alone in that misery,
1: yeah, yes, yeah, that, that is how that feels. Um,
0: and and I just want, and I felt that way, yeah, which now seems like how how did I imagine that I was the only one that was depressed, <laughs> you know, or, yeah. you know, so I I would like people to know that that's not true. That's yeah. a lie that depression is telling you, yeah. but there's nothing so bad or so hard or, or sad or angry. Nothing that you're experiencing is apart from the human experience. Mm-hmm. We all have, we all have that inside us. And that doesn't mean you're not beautifully unique, but your experiences are, are relatable. Right. Other, pe- other people have been through what you are going through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I can, I think when we can let that in, when we can let that in, which is so hard, but like when we can let that in, that feels like a lifeline, a whole of hope, because we look around mm-hmm. and I think one of the other things that, like, we feel like, well, all these other people have survived, all these things, but I won't, you know? Mm. And so you can say, well, if someone else felt this way and made it through in some way, then maybe it is true that I will too, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's some of what comes through as I read your book. And essentially, yeah, you're not alone. This will not last forever. By the way, I'm holding you. I'm holding your book right now. It is gorgeous. I mean, it's like when I first got it in the mail, (laughs) oh my, they, they did a really, really nice job with, with just how it looks like it, it looks how it reads, you know? Yeah. Which is not yeah. always I the case. It. It's a, they did a very good, well, the good, the good folks at Fortress Press, come on props, you know, yep. good, our good Minneapolis publisher here. Um, exactly. Um,
0: and um it has so i'm holding your book and my book together right now and they're mm. kind of like a set cuz mine yes. has the moon and yours in the in the exact same place and almost the same size as the sun yes so everyone should buy both books i think so
1: i think they're companions display them
0: next to each other yeah
1: i think they're companions and i think you know it's it's odd because it's odd that you would say that because i think like in your book about depression there is such a warmth and hope and light and i hope that that's true about my book as well but i think you know my book is also it contains some of the darkness of mm. you know brokenness and so there's a there's a juxtaposition both and anyway yeah i i i would love i, I would love our books to be twins and to be friends and to go you know places <laughs> together we'll have to yeah. put our 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 friend matt bays on that right you know he'll yeah he'll, he'll make that happen Maybe even Laura, too. Um, Okay, so maybe, gosh, maybe last question. Um, And I say maybe because it's just, there's too many good ones. But what would you want to say to someone who who has a loved one that's going through depression right now?
0: Mm. Yeah, that's really hard. I think it can be hard if you've been through depression yourself and see someone going through it that you love and it can be hard if you haven't and yeah. and don't understand what they're going through. But um, I think the most important thing is just to be present for that person mm-hmm. and not not try to, I mean, help them offer help. And, and uh, you can make suggestions of ways to help them, but don't I think depression is so hard because you feel so bad anyway, but then you also feel like it's your fault. Like if only I could do these X, Y, and Z,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I would be better. And I can't do X, Y, and Z, so you, so I blame myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a non-judgmental presence is so important. Yeah. To have someone that you feel like you can trust that they're not going to get frustrated with you if mm-hmm. you don't get better right away.
2: Mm-hmm. They're
0: not going to, they're not going to get angry because their prayers haven't been answered. Right. <laughs> I don't know if you've experienced this, but when people pray for you for a long time, oh yeah, and their prayers don't answer, don't aren't answered yeah. in the way they want them to, they can get mad at you.
1: Yep. Oh gosh, that's so true.
0: <laughs> Which obviously doesn't help. So. <laughs>
1: Well, that goes back to the threatening thing, you know. I think part of it mm-hmm. is it, it, it threatens their belief system, you know. And and I think that's okay. Like it's it's you know, there's not nothing bad about someone whose belief system gets threatened. But you know, I do think that that's part of what's happening. You know, I believe that if right. I really prayed for someone for healing, that they would be healed, and they're not. So what's something wrong with them right. or me? You know. Yeah.
0: Um, yep. Man. And it's so. And it's so. Um, you know. <laughs> I mean, depression. If your if your brain is mis- malfunctioning or functioning um, you know not a, at a hundred percent it's it's an illness it's not in your head in the sense that it's imaginary
2: right. <laughs> but
0: I think it's so vague um, for people to understand that you know you wouldn't get you wouldn't get mad if someone didn't get healed of cancer when you prayed for them, right? Or, or you might or still like needed
1: glasses or something like that. You know, yeah, right. even, even to be more mm-hmm. mundane, you know. Um, yeah. But but yeah, but there's something about depression that I think, you know, I this is a, maybe a bad kind of analogy but it makes people uncomfortable like so I used to stutter I used to be a big time mm. stutterer up until about maybe age 13 or 14 and it kind of just mm. v- just went away you know which is very rare for stutters so and I don't know why oh, necessarily wow. it went away but and I still yeah. stutter sometimes but not nearly like the way I used to and um, stuttering makes people feel really uncomfortable like they mm. don't know what to do with someone who stutters they, they try to finish their sentences. They It just – and I think yeah. people that have depression, especially longer term depression, it has a similar – it's slower, you know, but it has a similar kind of effect on people. Mm. They feel uncomfortable. Why, you know, what's wrong with me that I can't make you happy or what's wrong with you mm-hmm. that you can't just be happy, you know. Right. But those are less than helpful questions, <laughs> obviously, you know. Um, but yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, but on the other hand, if you can just be present for someone. Yes. And you know, they they you know that you're there. They know that you're not going anywhere. That's that's huge. Yes. That's a, a cornerstone for them to hold on to. Yeah. That might be a mixed metaphor, but you know what I mean? A
1: cornerstone. All to, no, I think it works. I think it works. I like okay. it. I like it. I'm buying it. <laughs> I'm picking it up. <laughs> Um, Okay, so this really is the last question. Um, Okay. (laughs) Probably. No, I mean, it has to be. Uh, So, you know, global pandemic meets uh, visceral felt injustice. My opinion is that those things reach into everybody's psyche and pull out pain and grief, even if they're not connected to you know pandemic mm-hmm. or injustice. maybe they are do you think um i mean i just said but i think but like what do you think is there something to that that like we we all have the the pain and then when something global happens that it it allows us to express it or or maybe it forces us to hide it even more like what do you what's the what's the relationship between global expressed pain and personal grief
0: mhm Wow, that's a that's a question, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the answer. You know, I mean, you don't have to know what the answer is either. But what do you think about that?
0: Well, so here's here's one way of thinking about it. Maybe I I have a chapter in my book where I write about um. It's called "Monsters Under the Bed." Mm-hmm, I think is the name mm-hmm. of the chapter. And so uh, the idea is basically that when we tell our children that there aren't monsters. Under the bed, we're lying, right? Because the world is an awful, terrifying place at times, and you know what we really mean is there aren't monsters right here, right now. Right. But the but you can't you can't grow up in a world with any kind of um, curiosity or empathy and not realize that there are people suffering horribly all the time Mm -hmm. and the only way that you can can survive is to mostly tune that out yeah and you know but i think it it it's there that that empathy and that knowledge that even if i'm having a good day there are people who are not yeah and so some something like this is really just like you can't You can't deny it anymore. You can't tune it out. It's it's people's pain. The pain of black Americans is right in front of us. Yep. Yeah.
1: And we can't tune it out. Well, I suppose we can. But when it's this big, you know, yeah. You you, you become a little less human when you try to tune it out. Right. Um, Man. Yeah. I like that. And
0: I think it. Yeah. I think it rests in our bodies too. I was yes. noticing that today. I was going to take a shower before I before the Skype call and I was sitting on the couch and I was just like, I'm too tired to yeah. take a shower. Yeah. And I realized it was because I had been on Twitter for the last half hour, just absorbing everything that was going on.
1: Yes. And it, we do carry that in our bodies 100 And it makes us tired. So I I think I want to say this, too. I was talking, one of my friends I was talking to yesterday, she's white, her husband's black, and she was talking about, you know, she's done a lot of work around injustice, and she was talking about how some of her white friends are, like, just on Twitter and the news 20 hours a day these days, and they're just so engulfed, you know, because I think there's a sense of, like, we don't, we don't, we don't want to be privileged and turn it off you know there's all this language that we can use mm. but but she was basically like no and then she's done her work i you know it, she's like you you can't you you cannot stay on like there is a too much of reading and absorbing yes. and ingesting there is a too much like you're not like stop like don't think you're being noble or something by drowning in news like you have to be wise about reading and then pausing and then engaging and be you know I think people need to hear that because I just think there's a whole lot of people that feel like it's their civic duty to read Mm. every single every single story and to watch every single video and while I'm I am really saying yes we need to get uncomfortable and observe it even when it's uncomfortable yes 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 Mm -hmm. But I, I, I do agree with my friend who says, no, I mean, you have to be, if you're going to be in it for the long haul, um, you have to, you have to engage and disengage, I think. Right. I think. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you, you have to, you have to think of it practically, like how much of this is fueling you and making you, um, work towards change and how much of it is just making you have making you upset which is you know if you're upset and you use that that energy to do something about it that's one thing but if you're just getting yourself upset as the end goal that's not helping that's not changing the system
1: I think what you just said was so profound though because I think there's a way in which you know, we would never say this but like we think are getting upset is yeah. enough, you know, and okay, mm-hmm. I've done my duty, I've, I've got I'm really upset. Now I right. can now I can move on. And that's really not yeah. the goal. You know? Exactly. Uh, yeah, I
0: was thinking about this actually a lot this weekend. It's kind of the the other side of the um, white woman tears coin, you know, yeah. we're centering our own emotions. And in, in one instance, you know, we're doing it to to hurt someone and the other, we think we're doing it to help, but that's not what's needed. Right. Nobody, nobody needs my tears and nobody needs my anger unless those tears and those anger and that anger are doing something to make mm. change.
1: Oh, that's good. That's really, really profound and good. Thank you for that. Mm. That's good. Um, okay. Now. It has been almost, it's been over almost an hour. So (laughs) it is time for me to let you go, (laughs) Jessica. And I just want to thank you. This was so delightful for me. I I told you before we press record, you know, both of us sort of had the sentiment that really, are we really going to record a podcast today? And I, I I told you, I wanted to, like, I wanted to talk to you because I think that I knew it was going to be like this helpful. And Mm for me, uh, hopefully for other people too, but for me. So thank you very much. Um, thank you very yeah, much for, for, I thank your time. you.
0: I've, I've really enjoyed it as well.
1: Hmm. Well, so gang, uh, the long night by Jessica Canterwitz readings and stories to help you through depression. And I just want to say like, you know, we, we just said it's a beautiful book, but it really is like, it's a hard cover. It's small. Like you can, you can carry it in your, I don't know if you can carry it in your purse. Maybe, maybe, probably. Yes, Um, definitely. But not quite pocket, but like it's a little bigger than like an iPhone 6 plus or whatever it is. But it's anyway, (laughs) it's just a gorgeous book. And um, I think it's really a friend and it'll introduce you to other friends that maybe you don't know. Uh, because Jessica, you, you write about other people's writings as well. So um, go out and get this book. Mm -hmm. And then how else can we follow your work? I'll put it on the show notes, but I want people to hear it too.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and I have a, um, a Facebook page as well, which is really just a reflection of Instagram. I have things forwarded there. Yeah. Um, but J F kantrowitz on twitter and jessica Cantrowitz on instagram and facebook
1: okay there you have it follow and you will be encouraged um i like following you on twitter um mm. uh, it, it's like in the in a sea of endless rage then i read one of your tweets and i breathe again you know so thank you for that uh,
0: that's the goal yeah thanks <laughs>
1: All right. Well, peace, my friend, and enjoy the rest of your uh, day.
0: You too, Steve. Thank you.
1: Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash this good word. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.